We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nechami, founder of Carmela Cosmetics, a company that produces high-performance natural beauty products and is dedicated to uniting and empowering women through the power of color. This is We Are Women, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast came about as a way to give a voice to all women because we all have stories to share. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of bread and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night, and we are women. This podcast episode is brought to you by Uplevel, the app that's redesigning the world for women. Head over to uplevel.com, that's U-P-L-E-V-Y-L.com, to join the Uplevel network and learn how to accelerate your life professionally, personally, and financially. Apply now and get access to highly curated, female-focused, and ad-free content. Membership required. Download the Uplevel app on the App Store today. I am so excited to introduce you to Dana Anderson, a performer and creator who I discovered through Instagram and whose work spans on camera, stage, voiceover, and music. She has appeared in major network shows, commercials, she's a published author, and more. During this interview, Dana shares her story and mission in creating her media and talent relations agency called Concrete Runway. She shares helpful mindset tips and talks about how regret, shame, and guilt keep you stuck in your past. Dana talks about imposter syndrome and how we're here to share our abundance and leave a legacy. She also expounds on how she infused her arts background with advocacy, which I found so fascinating and shares challenges and awkward situations she's faced as a black woman. I have to say that we had such an honest and raw conversation about people being ignorant of topics relating to black people and how we can all tune in and be open to understanding each other. We spoke about unconscious bias and the idea of creating dialogue around change and healing humanity as a society. Dana also talked about how self-care looks different to each one of us and the importance of taking the time to ground yourself and give yourself what you need. As you'll soon hear, Dana is making a huge difference and using her voice to advocate for women of color and educate others. And I am so grateful to her for coming on the show. Listen in and be inspired. Young Dana was very free-spirited. I always got called free-spirit by my favorite elders, those that I felt like understood me. Um, I was a bit of an old soul. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, great-grandmother even. Um, our family was very close-knit and it was nothing for us to have three generations all together on an outing or a vacation or just regular old dinner around the table. Um, young Dana was just like grown-up Dana, pretty outspoken. I have reserved moments, as did young Dana, where I hold back. But boy, when you get me going, you're going to get the full truth. Uh, very creative. I liked to dabble in anything. And my parents really were great about just letting me explore my creativity. I got to run the full gamut of what I thought would fill me up. So I was baton twirling, writing, 
sculpting, painting, dancing, wasn't much of a singer. Um, <laughs> and then I got back into visual arts and stuff. So I pretty much had a life where I didn't really want for a lot and worked closely and spent a lot of time with my family. And that's where my foundation is and still is today. Wow. Wow. I love that. So you've always been creative and now you're in the creative world. Was that the plan? Was your plan to enter the performing arts business as a kid? Well, as a kid, I always dreamed of being in the performing arts, but my family was in it. I had, um, my family's from the East coast. So my aunt had a dance studio in Harlem and every one of my cousins went through that, whether you were male or female, everybody danced, did acrobatics, uh, tap everything. And so I saw that growing up. I knew that she had like another career. I couldn't tell you to this day what exactly Aunt Ruth did. I just knew her as <laughs> the legendary lady of dance. And all the folks who had kids in Harlem, at some point their children went through her studio. So that was just there. You know, when you're used to seeing something from childhood, it's normalized for you. Yeah. So I saw that as an opportunity. I also felt like Aunt Ruth was very regal. And I, for whatever reason, it, I mean, this is like preschool. They ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And mine was, you know, the little lined paper that they give you. It's like manila color with the big three lines. I wrote, when I grow up, I want to be queen. However, my picture was a dancer in point shoes with a tiara sitting on a throne. I think that was like the old spirit or whatever in me that understood that dancers used to be, or artists used to be royalty. The arts were so much more respected than they are now as far as like careers and how they serve society and the need for them in society. So when I was a young girl, I always wanted to be an artist or be an Alvin Ailey dancer. And then you start getting older and you start hearing adult opinions and some of those dreams get filtered. So I was like, I, I danced around being in front of the camera or on the stage the older I got and I started playing the background. Let me go into visual arts. Maybe that can turn into fashion design. Then it was like, well, let me get a little closer to what I really want to do. So let me, let me go for wardrobe. I kept holding myself back from my full creativity and power and finding all these other, maybe a producer. Okay, I can, I can write. Oh, let me work in advertising. And so it was just like, girl, <laughs> go on and do the thing. <laughs> and But the good thing about that is like, your path is your path. That was obviously the journey I was supposed to be on. And so now I'm a better talent because I know the business side. So I'm able to always support myself. I don't have to have a survival gig and be a server or bartender, you know, nothing against that. But I'm very grateful that I can have a career that also serves my career as a creative. And I get to, they, they hybrid each other. They really serve each other very well in my life. Right, right. Okay. So just so I get this straight, you really wanted to you know be a performer yourself as a child but then you felt like you wasn't respected enough so that's why you kind of went to the back end of things it wasn't about respect I don't think it was that clear to me as a, as a young person but it didn't seem practical mm -hmm. you start getting okay. the insights that like maybe you should get a trade or well, I'm not paying for that for college. You know, my dad huffed and puffed when he took me to Hofstra. He huffed and puffed when he took me to Tisch. Like I wanted to go to school on the East Coast. I got into Parsons School of Design. Those were all of the areas and avenues that I saw were possible. 
but you start getting filtered by what's practical, what's going to make you money, how will you survive? What's that going to do for you? So then what? You know, like all that stuff you start thinking about, it's like, yeah, okay, maybe it's not possible. You have to get past that. And I've, I have. So, so how did you get past that? Years of banging my head. You know, like I said, I, I touched all the things. I tried everything around being in front. I've done every single job there could possibly be in my industry. Like literally have done wardrobe, makeup, style folks. I still write. I mean, that's great. Writing is still creative. Um, what else have I done? Producing, post-production producing. Um, I mean, you name it, I've done it. Pretty much everything, but like the cool audio sound stuff because that's beyond <laughs> me. But I remember actually being interested in going to school for um, sound and audio engineering. I remember that. I was looking at like full sale. I was like, I was looking for things to do around it and just touched a lot of things and then realized like, I kind of got thrown into it. My daughter got signed to an agency and they were like, mom, you too. And I was like, huh? <laughs> yep. Wow. I love that. Okay. So would you say that it was just, you know, from going for like going, like moving forward and just taking action that you got past that kind of mindset or did you also work on your mindset at the same time? I think a little bit at the same time. I think also too, you start working harder on your mindset when you hit certain lows when you hit areas of adversity in your life you always get stronger from it and you you have to pull yourself out of it no one's deciding that you should feel better or how you can feel better but you you can read any scripture you can read any self-help book but it's not until it's really like ingrained in you and something moves you and kicks you into action like you said action starts it becomes habit and then habit becomes a way of being. And once you just are in that mindset and that space, it's like you're unstoppable. All the little things in my life, and some of them are big things that have knocked me down and I've gotten back up, I've grown from. I just continue to level up and have an unstoppable mindset. As a black woman, there's you're not going to keep me from doing the things that I want to do. And if I fail on my own, that's on me. I'm still going to pull something away from it. You're not going to keep me in and gate me from the party. <laughs> I'm going to get in there and I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to shine. And that's that today is like mindset complete. But it takes it does take time to, to build yourself toward that. And it is a, a parallel track of experiencing lows, pulling yourself out of them, getting that in that habit of just being resilient and unstoppable until here you are saying, I am a creative, I am a talent, I am an entrepreneur, I am a multi-hyphenate. That's affirming exactly what you thought wasn't possible, what, 5, 10, 12, 20 years ago. For sure. I can for... say that. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years right? ago. <laughs> wow. It's amazing. It's amazing how as you get older, you grow so much because you realize your possibilities, like what's yeah. out there, what you could actually accomplish. Yep. It's possible. And I think it's easy to fall into self-comparison even more now because of social media and like the reality TV slant of things like you're, we're voyeurs, right? We're always looking at someone else's life. So you're starting to think, oh man, I, I could be doing that. I knew her when she wasn't shit, you know, and I, I, I can do that too. Yeah. But you're on your own path. 
this is your time. It's, it's God's divine timing. You are accumulating all this experience so that it can culminate into your big moment. Like whatever is going to be your thing. It's, it is you. And all of that is, it's harmful to really just sit and say, I want to live like that, or I should have that. No, just, you have to, and this is another mindset thing. You have to talk to yourself and be like, what's yours is yours. Nothing can stop you from having what's supposed to be yours. It's going to be yours. Be patient. We get anxious, right? Right. We want everything now. I'm an Aries, so I'm fiery and fast. Like (laughs) It's like happening now. Why hasn't it happened yet? But it's just (sighs) learning to let go has really, really, and it's still a practice, but learning to let go and release some of the control and just not lean on my own understanding is a big part of my, I don't like the word success that much, but a part of my success. Yeah, no. And you, you know, it's funny because that's also a mindset thing. You know, we all like, we don't like to say that about ourselves, <laughs> Yeah, but it's <laughs> like, we feel like we're being, I don't know uh, you know, that we're bragging or egotistical, but it's not, it's not like that. It's, you should be proud of your own successes. You should be proud of where you started and where you are and you know, what, what, what you have to accomplish still, of course. And I love what you said, by the way, I love what you said about um, that everything you've been through, everything that you have worked, worked for, even if you didn't enjoy it, you worked for it so that you could get to where you are at this point. And that is such a great piece of advice. It's a great mindset tip because instead of regretting things, doing things you didn't necessarily want to do or situations that you've had to be in for whatever reason, if you can think of it, like those were the stepping yes. stones to get to to get you where you have to get. And that's, I mean, that's pretty much what you were saying before. And I just, I love it. Regret, so true. shame, guilt, all of that stuff is just keeping you in your past. If you're stuck in your past, you're not reaching and moving towards those possibilities like you talk about. Like there, that is life with limits. Really just being stuck in that, whatever that low was for you or whatever that little obstacle that, you know, made you stumble, like that's going to happen again. So get over it. And that's not always, you know, like you don't just shoot that at people. You have to heal and you you do have to take your own process to move forward. But if we stay stuck in the past, man, we're, we're limiting ourselves. Can't live with limits. Right. Oh my gosh, limiting yourself is such a good point also. Because yes. we, we do it to ourselves. <laughs> that imposter syndrome, woo! You have to talk yourself out of that a lot. Especially as women, you know, we we're told we're not supposed to be seated at certain tables. And then we get to that table and we're like, oh, she's so-and-so. I followed her on Instagram and she's all this and that. It's like, no, no, baby, you're there too. They they gave you the seat. Now own it. We still want to talk ourselves out of our, like, our success. And, you know, I I keep saying, I don't like that word. You know, we still want to talk ourselves out of that. (laughs) Yes. So true. Even when we deserve yes, it, we deserve table. it. We're there. That means we deserve it. We're worthy of it. If, and I'm telling you, that's another one of my practices. Like every single day I write in my journal about like what I'm worthy of or what I deserve or reminding myself of who I am. And I write down, I deserve this. I deserve this. You have to tell yourself that you deserve it or else you will talk yourself out of the truth. And that's, you are, it is your birthright 
to have abundance and to live abundantly and to be able to share your abundance. We're not just here to live in these little small boxes. We're here to be great and let our cup run over so that we can leave a legacy and pay our blessings forward. Not everybody's as great as you, like everybody's got their time. So when it's your time, please, please, please do yourself a favor and share some of those blessings and share some of that privilege because you are advancing humanity. We cannot stay stuck in this little space of mine, 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 me, me, me. It's not healthy. It's, and it's really showing up, I think, in this society of me, 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 and convenience and technology and quick highlights and flashes and self-comparison. It's like, slow down, share your blessings, give that little nugget, like that little tiny nugget, even what you're doing with this podcast. Someone's life is going to not stay stuck and level up. And that's only helping someone else. So each one teach one, pay it forward. Each one teach two. <laughs> right, for sure. They say the rising yes. tide lifts others. I love that. So true. Yeah. Well, we we, we got very deep right away. I'm too shallow <laughs> and service, baby. <laughs> I know. I know. No, I love it. I love it. So wait, I want to actually ask you because I know that you touched on this a little bit, Dana, but you've had an expansive yes. career in the arts. So could you tell me more well, about I, that? Well, um, like I told you, I went around and tried to figure out exactly what lane I wanted to get an arts education. And what I landed on was learning the business of the arts. And that I am so grateful I did that because you get exposed to legal aspects of the arts, legal aspects of entertainment, um, PR, obviously marketing, management, accounting and finance and being a solid and reliable artist and understanding the business makes you an asset to any production or any museum curation or like whatever it is, whatever you, whatever you choose is your lane. Um, so I went to school at Columbia College Chicago after a couple of stints other places. Um, I graduated from there and my major was in arts, entertainment and media management. And um, I did, I dabbled in, I still was dancing. I danced a couple of music videos. I was doing visual arts. I was doing a little bit of writing. Um, I was messing around too, because I was in college. <laughs> you know, I was like getting my heart, school of hard knocks education, um, street arts, we'll call it. <laughs> I do do a little street art. Um, and Eventually, when I graduated, I went right into working behind the scenes in film. I did wardrobe for a film, a feature length film here in Chicago. I would travel out of town if the project was right. Um, I did wardrobe on like a Lil' Kim music video. I have done advertising. I started freelancing in production and then advertising. And like I said, eventually, you know, I was, became a mom and I knew, hey, maybe we could get some extra money by Phoenix, my daughter, doing some you know, baby shoots or whatever. And the agency signed me too. And then I just got thrown into stuff and um, acting, I stumbled on. I never studied acting. Like I didn't do theater school and all these things that some of the, here comes the imposter syndrome starting to come up. I could feel it. But some of these actors that I would come across at auditions that had more experience than me, uh, I would see their resumes because back then you used to hold a paper resume. Now everything's digital. And I would be in the waiting room at the casting house and I would look and I'm like, oh, 
so-and-so MFA from such and such theater school or all these theater credits on their thing. And I'm like, I don't compare to that, but I would get booked for big stuff. And I would get booked for like commercials and they're called industrials where it's like corporate broadcasts, educational type stuff, not, not for broadcast. And um, I realized that wasn't a bad thing because that keeps you going. You make more money doing that. This theater stuff didn't pay. These kids were maybe getting more on the ground experience, but I was getting money that would keep me going <laughs> and keep me buying classes, buying, investing in classes and things like that. So that's where I landed hardcore, obviously, was in more of the performing arts by way of acting, voiceover, print modeling, that kind of stuff. Okay. So cool. So then we're, and then what, now you yeah. have your own company. Um, so I actually started it way back when I started getting more serious about working on camera and voiceover um, because you're non-union. So you're getting these checks and they're not taking taxes out of it. And that was really just for me, just something tax savvy to do so I could write off my expenses and, you know, manage that a little bit separate from just other work I was doing where I was an employee. And then um, fast forward years later, I started getting more of like direct consulting gigs at the ad agencies that I was serving. So I did a big project for Burrell Communications Group in Chicago for their client Comcast. And they, that was like one of the first projects where I was introduced as this is Dana Anderson of Concrete Runway. But I was still a, a one woman show, hire a freelancer here and there. And then more recently in the last 18 months, I got Toyota's diversity, equity, inclusion arm as a direct client. And I was like, oh, I really got to operate like an agency yeah. agency now. You know, you can't be janky with a real Fortune 100 or 500 clients. So I just got, again, thrust into that. And I swear, it's just like God just pushes you along the path you're supposed to go. And here I am straddling successfully both sides of my life where I kind of have this like truly creative do, 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 tinker away side. And I have this oversight of an ad agency that serves corporate clients and brands and really consults from a really great insight because I know so much about that talent side. So when we're looking for influencers and things of that nature, I know the terms better. I know when I can get, you know, a union person to do something because I'm like, hey, there's a waiver that, that we can use that influencer waiver or that quick low budget social media waiver. Like we don't have to limit ourselves and like brands, agencies, they don't have time sometimes to deal with that nitty gritty stuff. They, they love these insights. And then I can give it to them from a cultural lens. And sometimes when appropriate that real true diversity, equity, inclusion lens and say like, this person is a real champion for that. Look at their Instagram. They're talking about this constantly. They're not just taking a check from you. This is an ambassador and a champion for this topic for this brand, you should keep them around for a year. They really like sustainability. They drive an electric car. This is the person you want to hire, not just so-and-so because they have a million followers. This person with 10,000 followers who engages in conversation with their followers about the topic on a regular basis is more valuable to you than dropping your money and getting this one-shot deal from so-and-so who tweets and gets $20,000 per tweet. And like, they love those types of insights. Right. Really do. <laughs> I don't do any cookie cutter stuff. I choose very selectively what projects I work on. I only work in impact and community engagement and DEI and 
true multicultural. I don't do anything that's just like, let's pop up a vehicle here and stand next to it with a brand ambassador and a sign and take leads on an iPad. I'm like, that's, I'm done with that. I've learned that. I know how to do it. I could do it with my eyes closed, but I'm not interested in doing things with my eyes closed because I could be taking more auditions. I want to help brands make a difference. They're out here advertising and dropping money. We can't get away from advertising and PR, right? That's always going to be something. We're always going to see someone skipping through a beach telling us that a pharmaceutical drug is the answer. Why don't we make stuff like that count and give it more impact? So that's where my purpose with Concrete Runway really lies is that I work with brands and talent to do more progressive work, to do more authentic work and to really get on the ground and do storytelling instead of talking at people and selling at people. Let's engage consumers. Let's engage your audience and build a trust and build an affinity for your brand. Right. No, I love that. I love that. Okay. Because I was reading about what you do and I, I saw, I, I obviously looked at your Instagram and I saw that you yes. are into wellness and advocacy. So this makes total sense now, now that you're explaining to me, you know, um, and yeah, I'm so I'm curious to know, like, how, how do you, um, combine your dance background with your advocacy? Cause I know that that's something. Yeah. That you, you know what? Do. Every once in a while, it doesn't seem like it makes sense, but it does when it just shows up. So I got asked to, I got tricked into, I always tell the story that I got tricked into, um, <laughs> doing like a one woman show. It was a short play and it was a festival, a multimedia festival around racial equity and social justice. And I grew up back and forth between the burbs here in Chicagoland, which are highly segregated and New York city. I'd spend my summers there in New Jersey. And I had a lot of stories to tell about my experience with like racial bullying growing up in the suburbs here. And um, my friends that run this theater company were like, yeah, just, you know, record yourself. Da, da, da. So long, long story longer. I ended up writing this one woman show and it, it was a hit. Like I'm telling these stories from such a vulnerable and authentic place. And this was a huge step forward in my career on so many levels. And so it was called Soul in Suburbia. We did this short. And then they asked me to do it in a longer length, a full length play. And I was like, oh, whoa, this is like a whole new canvas, right? <laughs> Pull out my palette and make a whole new thing. So I brought actors in and I incorporated spoken word and dance. And here we are putting together a whole kind of textured layered show that speaks oh toward healing and vulnerability and sharing and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we would have these, you know, plays have talkbacks or post-show discussions. Our post-show discussions at this particular theater company that is committed to social change and committed to bringing up emerging artists and young performers to be artists and activists. We would have shows called um, the post-show discussion is called Crucial Conversations. And we'd cover off topics where people got to really ask questions like, you know, she said in her play that white women used to say X, Y, Z to her. I thought that was okay to tell her that her hair was beautiful. And it's like in a real setting and a vulnerable space. And they were led by um, an educator. He was a former educator and a psychologist who understood how to lead transformational conversations. So I couldn't jump up and be like, 
You heard what I said. Don't ask me about my hair. Didn't you hear Solange's song? Like I couldn't get turned up. Like I had this respected uh, leader in this type of work and he would have these healing conversations. And like that to me is where art meets advocacy. You can build and incite change through healing conversations, but you put the art first and it builds this curiosity and like, if I'm up on stage being vulnerable and they're hearing this black woman share this really open and layered story, that makes you reflect. And it's like, I can't make her the angry black woman. I got to look at myself and see how I contribute to these types of feelings in others. And these are the first steps to me to like bigger change, little small connected conversations, healing conversations that make people go back home and have conversations that make people go back home and be looking in the mirror and say, God, I really didn't compliment that person at the grocery store. I made her feel small. Like, you know what I mean? These are the little things. Art heals and transforms, whether it's dance, visual art, music, it brings us all together. So that is something I'm really, really proud of. And I'm a member now of that theater company where we take art and make it activism. I love how you have taken a serious topic and made it into an approachable, I guess, you know, and like taking the intimidation factor out of it because if someone's not black, right? They, and they're a good person. They want to understand they're a good what person. they're doing wrong. They want to know. <laughs> Heal humanity. Like if we don't start trying to focus on healing as a nation 
and as a society and a global entity like this <laughs> we're the, supposed to be the the strongest country in the world and we're so weak <laughs> we're so fragile and weak yeah. and so not united like let's get that together right and i love what you said about the healing because this, at the end of the day when we carry negative emotions we're the only ones who suffer like we could be so angry at someone else so we could and, and it, it could be very well deserved but at the end of the day the other person is not yeah. suffering for it from it you know we're the only ones we're hurting ourselves we're hurting ourselves physically mentally emotionally it's just that's a it's tough lesson not worth it. yeah that's a tough lesson and that's right. like where like growth, personal development, transformation, wellness, like total wellness, a lot of that, that mindfulness, like that for someone who's been through some really hard shit, that is something that you have to train yourself, train your mindset so that that anger, bitterness and resentment doesn't manifest in yourself as cancer or some other debilitating physical thing, you know? Seriously. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So how, how have you been able to work through that? Like, as because you mentioned as a kid being bullied and, and being treated differently by pe- people who were ignorant or yeah, racist, definitely. right? So, so, so how did you I work did through it that? for a long time. You know, I think other thing too is that Black women, we're just strong, right? We're supposed to be just so resilient and strong and you just keep going and you deal with it. And especially if it's like normal around you for people to behave like that, it's like, I guess the, a level of acceptance to it, but also just to, I'm going to keep doing what I do. You be that. And I'm going this way. I'm not going to, again, let that stop me. Got to keep being unstoppable. So you just power through life. And it wasn't until I started doing more writing and art kind of focused on that side of my experience. And really that's what true storytelling is about. Like it's got to come some level of, it has to come from your own authentic experience that to me is what started opening that up and allowing that to heal. And then like therapy even too, I think in the last couple of years was when I started getting more focused on therapy and all the things that I could to be a better person. Like, like you said, who's suffering, who's suffering from the anger, but me, and I still got a long ways to go. So there's that. But um, they always say awareness is the first step, right? Uh-huh. Yes. And it's helped true. me build a platform. I think too, to your point of sharing and being a leader and just putting yourself out there, you're being an example. And that, that's part of my platform. And again, even on the complete business side of things, like I'm not just working with some brand that's not good to people, not good to the environment you know, just only puts up a black square on that Tuesday because some black employee finally got heard and they told them to like, I want people who are actively trying to transform their communities, their audience, investing in ways to do better. You know, it's like, we're not perfect. We know brands are like living in this lane of making money. You know, now brands have more of a responsibility. People are watching them. People are watching what they, they do with their money and their give back programs. And I watched that heavily. All those folks that stumbled around the George Floyd thing. Like if, if I got an email from you, like three weeks after that, I was like, oh, y'all spent too much time in legal and in that boardroom full of white haired white men to come up with the decision to send that you're late, delete, unsubscribe. We're not, we're not friends anymore. I will not buy your product. If you did said nothing, didn't acknowledge it at all. I was like, 
<laughs> That's cute. <laughs> you just avoided it. You think it's going to go away if y'all don't say anything? Okay, sure. I'm sure you have some Black employees and there were some feelings around that, whether we were in the office or not, because it was still during COVID. But like, I pay attention very heavily to how companies react and respond and how they move forward from society. It's like things that are transformational, whether it's their pandemic response. Um, restaurants in my area. There was a couple of restaurants that were feeding their employees and their families a couple of times a week or letting them pick up food and supplies for their homes. Like I'm rocking with them. Like I saw how you treated people. Yeah. I, wanted, I want to feed your business. Brands that I heard like were taking that PPP money and not taking care of their employees and stuff. I'm done with them. Uh, there's a there's a handful, a list of brands I have that I'm like, I'm not messing with them af anymore after like the whole 2020 stretch. Mm -mm. Right. No, I, I I mean you're right. It's definitely we we've come to a place in you know in time where we are so much more aware of what we do for society and what brands do for society in the community. And it's not, it's not like, oh, Brittany, you have a good product. I'm going to buy from you anymore. It's not what it's like. It's like, how are you giving back? How am I giving back by right. purchasing from you? You know what I mean? It's a, we, we want to, and I wonder if part of it is because of COVID that we've had more time to think and like be aware of our mortality that we're just like more conscious of, of, of what, of how we're, we're helping other people and less superficial. I think that's like, what do you think? a ton of it. I think that, um, that stillness and that quiet space we were in with quarantine and like you even brought up the point of mortality. You know, when you start having things put before you where you consider your own mortality, that makes you think differently. And I feel like if you didn't come out, it's still going, but if you didn't come out of that COVID experience with a little bit more vulnerability or desire to do better and be better or be kinder, definitely to be kinder than yeah. you were sleepwalking and you're probably going to need a complete rock bottom to wake you up, you know, should have triggered a little yeah. something in you to want to do and be better. So I think that the, the best thing out of that experience for us as a society is that we had time to reflect. I know it was good for me. I wrote a whole book, put out an album. Yeah. I was yeah. like, what else am I going to do but create art? I got to cope some way. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't realize you wrote a book. I read everything yeah. else about you besides your book. Okay, I have to. Oh, I wrote a book called Cries from Quarantine, Poems About Love. Yeah. Um, my friend, he put this painting up on Instagram. This was another thing out of the, the experience. That time you had to sit still, you had time to do things or explore or revisit your young self, right? The things that you gave up. Yeah. And I knew that he's a very talented director and editor, and he, he's a visual storyteller. I had no idea that he was a visual artist too. So I saw this on his Instagram feed and it was called Pandemic Painting. And I, I already had this book in progress, right? I had this collection of poems I'd been working on and I decided I wanted to put it together and do a little foreword that explained like where this even came from. And when I saw that, I was like, that's it, that's her. It was like this woman who, she doesn't really have eyes clearly on here, but she's got a very pronounced mouth. And 
she's a black woman with hoops and like kinky hair. Like this was me during quarantine. I was like, who doing my hair? Cause I don't do my hair. <laughs> and I said, this is exactly the art I want for this book because it's like when you just close your eyes and go within and reflect and really do the work, something beautiful comes out of it. You know, if you do that shadow work, as yes. they call it, you level up, you come out of the shadows. You're so much lighter, you know, you're so much brighter. You can shine through. And like, now you're a beacon of light for someone else who's going through that dark period. That is um, what inspired me to use that artwork. And then I am not like a big audiobook person. <laughs> I get kind of annoyed. Like I read books. I like to turn pages. I also like really paper books. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I don't want to do just an audio books. So I was like, wait, I like music. I like ambiance. So I took a collection of poems from the collection of poems and we turned that into a spoken word album. It's like lo-fi hip hop, like chill out music. And that was oh, uh, like the remix. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Very fun. Nice. Yeah. I had to work with other oh, artists. All, like, all of that just like filled me up. I, I needed it. Yes. Yes. So important to make time for what fills you up. Self-care. That's a form of self-care. I know it yes, sounds like a labor absolutely. to somebody else, but for me, that was self-care. <laughs> I know. It's so funny, by the way. And that's also like you brought up such a great point just now because, you know, self-care can mean it's so important for everyone, but it means something else to different people. So it means different things to different people. So when we, you know, just because you see someone posting about their, I don't know, massage or whatever, and you're like, I hate massages, self-care doesn't apply to me. You hate massages, so that's not self-care for you. But right. do something that is self-care and makes, and just like lights you up, fills you up. That, and I think that's how you said it, right? You said fills you up? Yep. Yeah. So it's so important. It's like, whatever grounds you, please do it so that you're not walking around spinning out and lashing out. Because we all have that tendency in ourselves. Like, if you are not settled, feeling secure and safe and grounded, eventually it either manifests internally and like some type of sickness, yeah. or it lashes out and hurts someone else. Please do whatever you need to do to not hurt yourself or other people. We all got to be our best out here. We have to. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's it's true. It's incredible how much like mental and emotional stress can affect you physically. Yeah. That's another thing I think you have to really learn because we're always trying to push the blame somewhere else. We don't want to own that. You know, you want to just say it's that and point out there. But if you take the time to realize you've got to put some boundaries up, you've got to do whatever you can to like deescalate or declutter your space. Like I notice when I'm spinning, my desk is a mess my little business corner of my house is like out of control or my room is not like a sanctuary anymore. So I have to like pause. Like after this, I'm gonna mop the floors cause it's been snowy and wet here. I can't stand looking at that grit on the floor. I'm gonna wash my floors, maybe wash on my walls and like get my stuff back. Maybe do some laundry. <laughs> like that does not sound relaxing to someone else. But for me, that is like therapeutic, you know? <laughs> Totally got that. I totally got that. <laughs> like, I don't want Grace coming in my house this week. I want to do the cleaning myself. I want to put the love into my home. <laughs> right? Right, right. Totally. That's so funny. Yep. Yeah. Wait, so I want to ask you a couple of last questions um, because you did bring up about being a woman of color. So 
in what other ways has it you know affected your choices or brought up challenges like well anything you could share with me oh I think that even um you know working as a talent there are instances where castings can get kind of awkward because I'm not sleepwalking, right? I've worked on the advertising side. So I know who does what and the decisions that are being made and what's going on in the callback and all those clients that are sitting in the room, what their role or what their focus is, right? When they're watching the talent audition the second time for the commercial or whatever. And I've had a couple of strange, uh, several strange experiences between either the casting and audition process or being on set where things come up that are like, you don't even know that that's a microaggression because that's, <laughs> they don't know usually, but things about the hair. I had a session director cringe when the client was like, you know, um, so this time you guys, uh, you know, a, a little more happy, you know, like, like, you know, black people are happy. Me and the guy <laughs> looked at each other when we left out of there, we were like, first of all, I'm not booking that because we saw like, our faces both changed when he said that. And he probably felt like a champion when he said it just out of ignorance, but that was not, you don't say that, but what are you going to do as a talent, make the casting director look like crap because you're going to cuss them out. Like you got to get, you got to finish that audition and like, Hey, you know, we need the money. Commercial residuals are bread and butter kind of cookie money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you're like, you got to get through it. Um, I've had a couple instances on set where I showed up with, out the wig on that I had on during the wardrobe session or callback or whatever. And they're like whispering in the corner, instead of just talking to me, whispering in the corner, the director, the hair person, and like one of the clients looking at me. And it's like, I'm, I know what right it here. feels like. I'm right here. You know, you don't have to talk about me in the corner, like come talk to me. And I, for sure enough, I had to make a complaint to my union about, I had to do my hair for a job. She sent me to the bathroom with one of her curlers because she wasn't equipped to do it. You all booked a principal talent that was a black woman. If you knew you, you should have vetted your crew about are they capable of doing a black woman's hair and makeup? Because if she wasn't, she shouldn't have been on that job. That's also a union role. So I'm, I'm union as an actor and you're union as hair and makeup. I shouldn't be doing your job, right? So am I going to get your fee for doing my hair? No, I'm not. So I was like, I'm done with this. I'm speaking up, speaking out. And they were so, so gracious and kind about women like me, a few other talent I know that have had to do this, that now there's committees in SAG-AFTRA about diversity and inclusion in the makeup and hair department, because that's a real thing. Like we know this entertainment thing might seem like shallow to certain people but this whole wardrobe and hair and makeup thing is a real deal of course if i can't go in there and say oh if you hire me to do shakespeare i'm not going to be like well i don't do shakespearean accents i can't as a makeup and hair person possibly think it's okay to say oh i i don't really do black hair <laughs> oh bitch get off set you, right and that's the production don't hire her so the fact that in 2021 we're still advocating for more commitment to being like on top of that is a real thing and do better. Isn't that kind of like, it sounds so ridiculous saying it out of my mouth, but it's, there are committees about this. 
It doesn't. It doesn't. Now I'm thinking back, and, and you're not the first person who has, who has uh-huh. mentioned this to me, by the way. <laughs> and I'm not talking about like not my podcast guys, but friends, friends of mine who are black. Um, what like one of them was telling me about getting her makeup done somewhere. I forgot what it was. And, just, and like you look at yourself and you're like, what did you think you were doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's really offensive because it's if offensive. you're a professional, you should have all different colors and all different shades and know how to, you know, work with black hair and black skin color and skin tones. Like it's just, it's not okay. Go back to training. If you can't do it, you can't do the job. You don't need to be on the job. So it's not okay. But those are like, those are some of the ways where it showed up on that side of the, the house for me. Like it's cringy. It's <laughs> unacceptable. You know, it's a great word. It's true. It's cringy. <laughs> <laughs> something your daughter says, right? Yeah, oh, totally. Yes. <laughs> Mom, that's cringe. You know, and I think too, like one of my other areas of like personal efficacy is just that I really celebrate like black women's efforts to like Regina King is like the goal. Viola Davis is like the goal. Those are women that they aren't afraid to speak out about representation, about how black women should be portrayed. You know, they don't just take it and take the check. They pave the way for Hollywood to do better about how we are authentically portrayed. Like we're not going to stay in this narrow lane of the mammy that's expanded. We're not going to stay in this narrow lane of the angry black woman that's expanded. They just keep pushing for us to be seen as vulnerable, soft, sexy, you know, smart, intelligent human beings on camera and then they're taking control and directing and writing and advocating for more talent behind the scenes and that those are just two names like Issa Rae I mean those those are the types of things where I'm like that matters to me like keep going you're you're making it possible for women like me to do the jobs we want to do and also you're doing that too Dana like you're literally paving the, the pathway for others you know after you I mean like what you just did, what you just mentioned about the hair and makeup thing. That's huge. That's yeah. really huge. So, um, yeah, kudos to you for all your rear work, your advocacy work. Thanks for that. I forget sure. it. Again, I just power <laughs> through it and I forget that, like, I, I, that's why I do it. It matters. <laughs> right? For sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so let me ask you the question that we ask everyone at the end, which is, what is something that you hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with? Ooh. One thing. <laughs> you can too if you want. <laughs> well, I definitely think in, in general, um, something that I hope the next generation of women won't have to struggle with is playing small. You know, shrinking in order to fit into any space, whether it's predominantly male industries or rooms of women that are completely impacted by the patriarchy and think that being a boss is being a bitch and squashing down other women's voices. Like that kind of thing is like, I always try to make sure that I say something to my daughter when she tells me stories about something that happened about conflict at school or something like that. I'm always like, you deserve, or you are, you're, you're bigger than that. Or like, you know, I'm always, I'm, I'm that girl, I'm pumping the girls up, right? Right, right. whether it's little girls or look at you. So smart. You are so smart. You pretty too. Like you're always, I'm always putting that kind of stuff forward because I don't want women to have to rely on the small things about us. Beauty is small. Your mind and your mindset and your acts of kindness and how you show up, that's big. 
So yes. play play it big to the max. So I, I hope we don't have to continue to show up as shrinking violets, right? And then <laughs> I think for women of color, something I hope that the next generation of women doesn't have to deal with is, um, hmm, it's pretty much the same thing, but more intentional. Like, I hope that we do not have to set ourselves in the standard of Eurocentric or beauty that's not our standard. Like, I hope that we make sure that the world knows there is room for all of the spectrum of beauty, whether it's the darkest of dark skinned black girls or the widest of noses, the biggest of lips, all the things that we're seeing in Hollywood, people are paying for that when I was little, I got teased about, you know, big butt, big nose, your nose is big, your butt is big, da, 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 da. and I'm like, <laughs> funny, you've now tricked us into thinking that we have to look like you, but you're buying parts to look like us. I hope right. that we see that our beauty is a standard and that there's room for all beauty and that we don't have to shape ourselves after something that is really not attainable and shouldn't seem attainable that we are we are our own sparkly shining gorgeous standard of beauty no matter what no matter where we are on this planet i love that wow what a great way to end this <laughs> thank you dana where can people find you if they want to learn more about you i'm on all platforms almost all at They Call Me DNA, They Call Me DNA. My name is Dana Nicole Anderson. So I'm always playing off of that. Um, what's in your DNA? What makes you you? Be that. Stick with that. Right. I'm over here being me. I want you to be your best you. That's Love how you it. find me. And my website is DanaNAnderson.com. And if you want to learn more about my business, <laughs> I'm always playing that in the background, right? Here I go again. <laughs> it's ConcreteRunwayInc.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank Dana. you. It was a fun conversation. It really was. I'm really proud of you. I'm so, so excited for your trajectory to just keep going because this is exactly what, this is what we need. More women empowering other women. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K and on our website, carmelacosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 